There's nobody. There's nobody. There's nobody there. Yeah, they'll be here soon enough, I'm sure. Okay. Okay. I texted Andy. I haven't heard back, but hopefully he will respond soon enough. So welcome one and all to Monday Night Generational Change. I'm Peter. I'm Jen. And we just did it in the reverse. I know. It is Labor Day. It is a very important day. And, and it was a productive just us, so it doesn't matter. Say that again? It's just us. It is for now. Hopefully people will join. And Lord knows it is a federal holiday and people are maybe not as concerned about what's going on in the world at random. But yeah, it was, uh, I would say it was a very productive day today. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity, uh, very fortunate to go to the Amazon labor, Amazon workers Labor Day rally in New York City. Um, it was, um, uh, I just got an email from Andy. Uh, For anybody who's coming on, which is the people coming on. So Peter, Peter is at his family's house in New Jersey and he was just up at the labor rally in New York for the Amazon workers union. That's what's happening. That's why he's there and not here. Yes, it was definitely uh, a great experience. Obviously, I got to meet Chris Smalls in person today for the first time. Uh, great guy. Did you tell him I say hi? I said, Jen says hi, and she loves you very much. It's like, I tell, do. tell her the same. So tell her right back. Yeah, no, I actually, one of these days, have to go back and find the clip when it from the first time he was on. And it was before all of the, the the unionizing happening. And I remember after he got off the show, I'm like, yeah, he's definitely going to be a problem for Jeff Bezos. And he is definitely going to be a problem. Yeah, there's no question that he's not going away, which is obviously a great thing. Um, and, you know, just uh, the fact that, I mean, listen, I thought it was a good turnout. I wouldn't have said it was a great turnout, but there was probably Who's anywhere. It? Who was really doing it? Like what, or like what, you know, organizations, what political people, was there anybody there with any sort of political power? Was there any representatives there? Uh, well, obviously, um, the biggest name that showed up today was Marion Williamson. And there were a handful of elected officials in New York that did show up. The most notable, I would say, is probably Tiffany Caban. She is, um, a, she identifies as a socialist. So, you know, she really is, uh, you know, workers uh, first, uh, above and beyond everything else. She is also very much a product of what I like to call the AOC effect in New York. Uh, definitely has uh, gained a considerable amount of political clout as a result. She stayed there for the entire event. Uh, kudos to her. Um, interestingly enough, one of the representatives, uh, I believe it's uh, Jessica Ramos, if I remember her name correctly, one of the things that was very interesting about uh, her attending, um, and she spoke and is uh, very much for, you know, labor, which is good. Uh, but she was somebody who decided to endorse Carolina Rivera over, um, uh, over Yulene Neal. And that definitely played a role in the electoral result in New York's 10th congressional district. So uh, I, I would definitely say, you know, Kudos to her for showing up. 
and kudos for the other people who are showing up. I will say this though, there was a there was a representative that was there today. Um, I'm not going to say who it is because I don't like to call people out personally, but I will say this. Uh, this person basically tried to big league me for even trying to talk in their presence and they're only a city council member in New York. I'm like, I almost felt like saying, you're not that big of a deal. And even if you were, <laughs> don't ever think for a second. Oh, like, I actually thought thing. you meant a, a representative representative, like a congressional representative, like a city council. Per- Can you imagine, like even here in Broward, for the most part, the city council people are extremely approachable. Sure. Um, even if, yeah, I mean, even if the, you don't particularly like their, you know, this person, politics. This person was like, almost like, ew, like, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> but wait, wait, not because of anything having to do with us or Debbie. No, not at all. I didn't even know who I was. We get that. Oh, okay. Okay. Just they, just because you're just not big enough. You're just, you're a nobody. Well, let's put it this way. They were basically speaking in like a triangle square almost type situation because it was like, a, a, you know, it's a handful of elected officials and they more or less was like, yeah, this is where the cool people hang out. Cool people might butt. Yeah. You're, not that, you're not that special. I no, listen, I appreciate you fighting on behalf of labor. And I appreciate you being in the fight. But as a person, hey, you know, some people leave a lot to be desired. Well, I deal with that a lot. There's a lot of people that I'll reach out to in our what you would think would be on our team, in our community. And I reach out to them with often it's like friendly, supportive, trying to like build coalition. And generally I get ghosted. And it's very frustrating. And then a lot of these same people will actually be on YouTube acting like they're huge proponents of the movement, but yet they're not willing to talk with people about forming coalitions. So. Well, that does take time. And obviously, a lot of it is a trust factor, uh, viability factor, familiarity factor. There's a lot of things that play into that, but there's no question that this um, this was a huge day. No, most uh, definitely def- not Walker. Walker is a friend. Most yeah. definitely not Walker. I'll never tell you who. Yeah. Uh, but definitely no, not Walker. Walker's good people. And so one of the things that's unique about being in New York is, of course, uh, New York does not have a problem with the labor movement. It tends to be very strong. Now, unfortunately, in the Sunshine State where we are, there is a big problem with labor because we are a right to work state. So there is a limitation in terms of the grassroots efforts that we really need. And we're definitely doing everything we can in our capacity to build as many local relationships as we can, because as we've often said, the future is through labor. If we're going to have any hope of salvaging our Republic, which right now is not in a good way. I, I have a slight hot take on this thing because it's, it's very frustrating. Because well, let's, well, well, let's save that because we do want to bring in our guests. I want to keep them waiting because this is very important. Okay, um, totally. And so without further ado, we are very pleased to welcome somebody who we both think very, very highly of. He is the head of the local of the Teamsters Local 769 down in South Florida. He is somebody that we've had the opportunity to run into, thankfully, at a number of events recently and is definitely a true labor guy in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the truest sense of the word. Uh, labor's where it's at. That's what we're fighting for. And we're very pleased to welcome Andy Mattis to Generational Change. How's everything going, my friend? Good. Sorry about the lighting. It's all good. You're you a- me okay? 
<laughs> oh, wonderful. And of course, uh, nothing wrong with hanging out in the shadows. That's where a lot of us labor people have to hang yeah, out. Yeah, it's just one of those rooms in the house. And look, before we get started, I do need to make a correction. Josh Zivilich is the president of the Teamsters. So he is the president. Yes. My apologies. Oh, that's okay. In case he's listening. He's not coming for your title, Josh. So don't worry about it. <laughs> No, the lighting is fine. Most people aren't equipped with like studio lighting in their homes. Like it's not something that people just have. It's all good. Gotcha. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you for what you do. I I think it goes without saying, as we've often said, you know, and it's been, um, I would say just in terms of the political odyssey that we've been through over the past several years in South Florida, that you know, one of the reasons why I believe that the GOP has been so strong in Florida is because we don't have as big of a labor movement as we should. What's been your observation being in labor for as long as you have uh, in terms of where it's been and more or less where it needs to go as we go forward? You know, I, I, I was actually thinking about that quite, uh, that almost that very question today on, on this Labor Day. You know, uh, when I first started my career way back in 1990 in New York City, you know, all the old timers back then were telling me, hey, kid, you know, this isn't going to be around much longer. It's dying. It's not what it used to be. Uh, my father, who was a lifelong union member himself, um, was kind of the same sentiment, right? It's it, 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 He felt like it, it, it wasn't what it used to be in the 60s and the 70s when he was first coming up in the local 638 in the Pipefitters Union. Um, but we've survived. Um, now, have we grown exponentially? Absolutely not. Um, and, um, you know, but we've been able to still hang on and still fight good fights. There's a lot of good organizing unions out there today that, um, you know, the people don't really, you know, talk about, you know, Teamsters being one of them, Unite Here, the Hotel Workers Union, SCIU, uh, AFSCME. I mean, there's some really good fighting unions out there. And I think that, you know, we, even though, it's at an all-time high, people's, you know, wanting to have a union. I mean, it just pulled as high as it has in years. I think it was like 68% or something like that, which was off the charts. 71%. Since 1965. Well, thank you. Well, there you go. Uh, but the question is, is how do we translate people wanting to be into a union and actually getting them into a union? Um, and look, there's been so many different approaches in my 30-year career. Uh, it started out with Sweeney when he was the head of the AFL-CAO and Richard Bessinger wanted to do 30% of everybody's budgets to go towards organizing. And then, um, you know, it went from that to trying to see if we could get something done federally through the Employee Free Choice Act that Ted Kennedy, Senator, the late Senator Kennedy proposed. Uh, now, today, you have the PRO Act. Um, but unfortunately, I, I hate to say it, and I'm just going to be blunt if you don't mind. I don't want to speak with a forked tongue. We really lose when we think we're going to put our stock into having elected officials at the federal level pass laws that are going to help us organize. That's just the bottom line. Um, I'm sorry. It's just it is. We've had the trifecta. When I say the trifecta, we've had the party in power that's supposed to be pro-labor. We had it under Obama. Poifree's Choice Act didn't pass. Here we have the PRO Act. Same thing. We get a lot of lip service about it. And I don't ever think unless we have some super majority, like 65 senators that are in favor of it, we're never going to see anything passed at a federal level that's going to give us a fighting chance. So the question is for us is what does that mean? It means we got to try harder. We have to organize the Amazons of the world. We have to or- organize the FedExes of the world. Walmart. We to- Walmart. We have to put all of our resources 
into figuring out how to take on these companies. And look, I'm sitting here in my chair. I'm not, I'm not trying to play armchair quarterback. It's, it's, it's difficult, difficult work. But, you know, if we're going to keep up, we have got to be able to organize these big companies in this country. And um, that's where I see it going. I mean, yes, there is a desire. And look, I am elated to see Amazon in certain parts of our country organizing, Starbucks, this younger generation of young people going out and, and taking it on themselves, really not even going through a union. They're just going to the union for some consultation. They're out there doing it themselves. It kind of reminds me of the, I don't know if you heard of the Wobblies back in the, the 30s and the 20s. They were a group who said, we don't want a contract. You just screw with us. We're going to shut the place down. That's it. That's just how we're going to negotiate our contract. All the power <laughs> open the people and not some union hall somewhere. And uh, it almost seems like that's what it's going back to. This younger generation is uh, taking it on. I, I actually am pleased to hear that because one of the big issues I find, and it's definitely in worse in a right to work state, is that the management of the union is not always acting in the best interest of rank and file. And just like any other big organization or big operation, um, I think there tends to be a disconnect between the top and the bottom. And what I was about to say before you came on, what I call a hot take is I actually feel like, and at least in Broward, that with certain union people, it tends to be more of an excuse uh, that we're in a right to work state because it sort of is like, well, my hands are tied. There's nothing we can do. It's illegal for us to strike. And I'm thinking, so we have to get permission from the oppressor to rise up. Like they're never going to give you permission to strike. That's never going to happen. You're not going to get permission to strike. It's just, that's not how this is going to work. Yeah. You know, you know, look in public sector and, and I'm not, look, you know, the excuses serve only those who make them. So I'm not trying to make excuses here for my brothers and sisters, but for example, in the private sector, that's not the case. I don't know if you were at the dinner on Saturday night, but you were, I, I remember bumping into each Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the diplomat potentially is going on strike. Um, that's a big deal. Um, you know, they can't get a contract there. Yeah, they have a right to strike. And, you know, in public sector, it's a little bit more difficult because the laws are what they are and the unions will get their asses sued. I, and I get that. But let me just go back to what you said about right to work. I so often hear, oh, that's a right to work state. Oh, it's a right to work state. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. What a right to work state essentially boils down to is the organizing laws are the same. Your ability to try to get the contract is the same. All it means is that when you once you get a contract, it, certain employees can opt to say, I don't want to be in the union. That's all it means. But if you go out and do a really good job representing your people, they will join. I took over the city of Fort Lauderdale. We had 117 members. I put the time, the skin, the game, the effort. We're up to 450 members now. And we're over 50%. So when you're out there pressing the flesh, as this organizer say, and you're out there working with people and you let them know that you got their back and you, you know, you, and you organize and you structure it in the right way to make people understand the power uh, that they actually do have. You get a good collective bargaining agreement, people will join. So. Yeah. I mean, definitely my issue is with uh, government union people. It's a teacher <laughs> union. It's a teacher union situation, but um, yeah, I feel like they're just, they often just sort of complain that they're just so stuck and there's nothing you can do, but I don't know that there's ever going to be a change in that. Like, I don't know that you ever, you're not going to get permission to do anything about it. 
You know, I think the issue is too, it's also without singling any union, but let's stick, stay close. Let's stay on the public sector. If I can respond to that, you know, and I've, I've been talking about this for years. I just been able to never get off the ground. You got to figure out what your points of leverage are, right? What do you control? What do you have power over in order to effectuate the change that you need to build your union? And, you know, like I said, the laws are very, very, they're not in favor of the employees, especially in the public sector unions. The trade-off was because of our constitution in the state of Florida having the right to bargain, the right to work law, the right to work legislation or the right to work in the constitution is tied intricately to that law. So they're like, it was one and the same. You'd almost, you know, you, you had to dance with the devil in order to get what you wanted. But when you think about, I want you to think about this. You know, the one thing that nobody ever talks about, let's just talk about teachers, for example, and I might get killed after this for saying it, but I don't give a shit. Um, look at the health care that they pay. You should do a poll of what teachers pay out of their pocket for their health care. It's unconscionable how much money they pay for health care. One of the things that I fight for constantly is affordable health care for our members because you can't eat your benefits, but you go to the hospital and you can't pay your bill, you're going to go broke. Healthcare is a near and dear important thing. When you think about the amount of teachers in this state or even other public sector employees, it's over, and I've already done the study on this, it's $3.7 billion in healthcare money that we allowed the other side to dictate to us and how that's going to get spent. Where we should be reversing that and using that, those dollars for the power of building our members, building them a better healthcare plan and building a, a, a much bigger and stronger union. Is that specifically you're saying to Florida, like the teachers or they just overpay? Because, I mean, I know that like Broward, our teachers are paid less than both Dade and Palm Beach teachers. So, I mean, it's it's definitely different. It's not like a whole thing, but it doesn't surprise me that they're paying a lot for their health care. But the truth yeah, is it's not just teachers. It's other. I mean, state employees, you look at what the state employees get. They do very well on health care. But. You shouldn't have to be paying for your health care. That's no, the thing. I'm fighting for free health care in the city of Fort Lauderdale right now in a consumer driven plan. I mean, I'm like, why are these people paying out of their pocket for this? I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, but anyway, I don't want to get too off. Yeah, no. You actually brought up a very good point, And I am curious if you could, uh, you know, talk more about that. Obviously, at the state level, especially in Tallahassee, it's going to be very difficult to get any type of statewide initiatives. There's a couple, a few states in particular that are really doing a magnificent job trying to push forward a state uh, statewide universal health care system. New York, in particular, with the New York Health Act, is really doing a great job. There's whole Washington and Washington State and CalCare in California. Uh, but you mentioned the opportunity to have uh, free health care in Fort Lauderdale. How would that work exactly? Well, I mean, look, in the city of Fort Lauderdale, for example, they're given three choices or plans they want. And then one, you know, obviously the gold plan is the most expensive. There's a middle plan and then there's the third tier plan. A lot of our folks take the third, to, the third tier plan, which is a consumer driven plan, which, which it's not too bad. Once you get past the deductible, it's, you know, the, the benefits kick in. It's good if, God forbid, you have to go to the hospital, you have a catastrophic illness. Um, but the focus right there is our people pay out of pocket, like towards the premium. It's not a lot of money, but it's a lot of money for our workers. It's like $92.52 a month. And I'm going to the city and I'm saying to the city, through showing them, I said, look, and I even did one better. I said, we, we need to put that money back in these folks' pockets. Now, our, the, the city of Fort Lauderdale, for example, they have a health center. And I am a big, firm believer in health center. The other word for health centers are called clinics. We don't use them that word because people hear clinic. They think, oh, my God. 
but you're able to control cost. And what I said to the city was, let's put them in the health center, the people who sign up to make that their primary. If they have good doctors there, they get prescriptions there. They get it for free because the city in the end will save money because you're controlling costs. You're not just going all over the place and you're not paying claims out, you know, hundreds of different doctors. You, 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 there's a fee, a set fee that you pay for the health center. And how many people does that, how many people would that be? Like how many people would that cover? Well, I represent a thousand people in the city of Fort Lauderdale. So potentially you could, you could cover all thousand right now. And it does cover all thousand, even in the HMO or the, the other HMO two plan, they call it, they're able to go there. And one of the things that I'm working on citywide it, through our shop stewards, through building committees to make them understand by you going to this, 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 this health center, you're, you know, it's going to be better for your pocket. It's going to be less utilization that the city is going to have to pay out in claims. You control cost. You're not paying all the ancillary fees that you pay when you go outside a network or even whatever doctors are available to you within the network. They have a doctor there. They have nurse practitioners who, you know, tend to you like you would if you went to a regular doctor's office and they give you prescription drugs at a much lower cost if you get it from the health center. It's just pushing the city to get out there and do the organizing it takes to make people understand why that's a good choice. And it's clean, it's, you know, it's out west. And I'm trying to get them to, you know, to uh, fund another one. So geographically, it's easier for people to travel to. We're trying to get a little bit more closer to the East Coast. So and what's your impediment? What's what's in the way? Like, what's your hurdle? Like, who are the people that are in the way of this? It's bureaucracy. It's government. You know, you got to deal with different people who don't want to get off their ass and do their job. You got to challenge them on docu documents you need. Uh, you know, no one's ever pushed them on it. You know, it's never been really any outside the think, thinking outside the box on this. And um, the it's, it's not going to be impediment. We're going to get it done. Um, and we're working towards getting it done. I mean, but it, it's, you know, I tried to do this down in Miami Dade with Jackson hospital when I was working for ask me and I ran all those unions down there. It's like, you know, the County owns a hospital. Why are we not doing a better job? At figuring out? I have to give Martha Baker credit. She did set up a plan there to get more people to use what they call the Jackson plan, which actually saved the, um, County a lot of money. So, these types of models do work. And what I was going back to is when you're thinking about education and you think about the billions of dollars they have, if they basically closed ranks on it and took control of that, you know, that part of the benefit that's so important to their teachers, you'd be surprised at what the results might be. It's hard work. It's not easy. There's a lot of bureaucratic bullshit you have to get through. But hey, at the end of the day, what is any, what is, there's nothing easy in the work that we do. No, definitely not. And they have, look, you know, they get union members out there standing at the polls and, you know, telling people to vote yes or no or whatever on whatever their thing is. So it's not that they don't have support for, you know, getting something done, but it's just sad to me that they beg for scraps. Yeah. We both find that union uh, labor in general just has the biggest uh, a crossover in terms of the voting demographic, whether it is in Florida or any part of the United States. If you can talk about the Teamsters, I would imagine that there's probably a lot of rank and file that have supported Bernie Sanders and probably have supported Donald Trump. How, how would you describe sort of the makeup of, you know, what the Teamsters union is like regarding rank and file as far as political affiliation is concerned? You want to know something very interesting. When you look at the voting demographics of the state, it's a third, a third, and a third, just about, right? These are independents. When I was with Ask Me, it lined up the same way. 
the Teamsters, it lines up just about the same way. Um, yeah, we have those who are Bernie supporters, and then we have those who are Donald Trump supporters, and then somewhere we in between, we have people who want to vote for the person who's going to, like, you know, look out for their best interest. And, you know, we don't consider ourselves a partisan union. We try to, you know, we are a bipartisan union when we can be. It's, you know, it's just that on that other side of the aisle, there's very few people who support your cause. And even people who you think support your cause really don't support your cause. And, um, and it, well, we always have that fight. But, um, yeah, it, it lines up uh, like a third, a third, and a third. And uh, we get hell sometimes when we put out our endorsements from certain members. They'll write back some nasty stuff. Are <laughs> you supporting that commie or, you know, F- oh, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. And Josh, our president, you know, he he does a really good job at figuring out how to to manage that. And, um, you know, and we always we don't we've gotten away from saying vote here, vote for this person. It's like, here's the issues. This one supports this. This one supports that. You make your choice. I mean, this one supports working people's issues. This one does basically doesn't. Yeah. Well, we we have found that in the certain labor union communities that that slate card is very important. A lot of people do go in there and vote the card. So the endorsement, even though we know that there's a very big political component to it, it actually does matter because there were several times where we saw people walking in with their union cards. Oh, it does. I tell you what matters for me, even to this day. I mean, look, generally being around as long as I have been and getting as old as I am, I, 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 you know, I know what candidates I want to support, but where it helps me is with the judges really, because yeah. what the hell, what do I know from a judge? Our guys do, you know, the labor does a pretty good thorough job at figuring out which judges are, you know, good judges. Um, you know, uh, that's a little bit of a trickier terrain politically, especially the way they can campaign, what they can do, what they can say, how much money they can take, what they can promise. They're really not allowed to do a lot of advocacy speak, I guess, because they're judges, but it helps me out tremendously. When I go in there, I always go off the palm card to look for the judges. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I I have people call me and ask me all the time, like, who should I vote for here? And if I always tell people, if you don't know, just don't vote that particular seat or that category, if you don't know. And most people have no idea about judges. It's definitely one of those, which is why I don't think they should be elected, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, exactly. I think it goes without saying that you know, we've seen uh, how labor, the labor movement has evolved. You know, we had a handful of, uh, particularly in Miami Dade, there were a couple of Starbucks uh, storefronts that were unionizing. And we meet these young people and they're really doing an amazing job. Um, obviously, as you know, we've built up uh, a decent following here in South Florida. What is it that generational change and people who follow us can do to help labor from your perspective, somebody who has been in a union for many, many years, obviously has seen how things have slipped and, you know, obviously there's been a resurgence, but maybe in a little bit of a different way. Uh, what is it that you think we could do to help you uh, in terms of, you know, more or less fighting off uh, the not just the right to work laws, but, you know, this, uh, this union busting efforts that just never seem to end? Well, first of all, I want to thank the both of you for what you do. This is fantastic. I didn't even know this existed. I really do wish there was more of this in the mainstream because there's not. It's almost as I feel like uh, I don't know what's, uh, you know, I don't know what the appropriate word would be here, but it's like labor is never able to get their megaphone out there to really speak to what they do. We've got to figure out how to get a bigger megaphone. 
right? You're never going to really hear them talk about anything on the news other than the guy that's doing the perp walk because he stole the treasury. Uh, or, you know, maybe there'll be some strike, which, you know, back in the day when I was growing up, you know, they would show strikes on TV. They don't show them anymore. Um, they, they, they happen. They exist. They, and, and, you know, it's a, it's not a daily occurrence, but there are strikes that do go on throughout the country. There are labor battles. And I just think it's really about just trying to get a bigger megaphone and just like, you know, just trying to get people to understand that, you know, you do have a lot more power than you think you do. You know, I, 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 I think, you know, I don't want to get off the question here, but you know, it's it's not what any one person can do. It's like what we can all do. And I think what's getting lost is is that there's no accident that this hatred that we see going on day in, day out, all this vitriolic, you're a commie, you're a this, you know, it's all this nan nan, you know, who am I? But what you know, who are you? But what am I? All that it it's a lot of noise that keeps us all distracted. And it's been purposely done this way because as a white male black person, a female, as working people, we all have something in common. We want to take care of our families. We want to provide good health care. We want to retire with dignity. And all that noise out there, I think, is, 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 is distracting. And it's been like this for 50, 60 years. Keep them divided. Don't let them come together. And don't let them commiserate about how they can come together to really take on, you know, corporations and get a better shake at work. Well, uh, that, that is by design. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I know maybe I'm not answering your question. It's uh, there's no cookie cutter answer to what you asked. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just mobilizing and organizing, get more of that young people out there and get older guys like myself out there, talk to these youth and tell them how important, you know, having a union is, I mean, you know, it's uh we live in a different world now. You know, I'm watching my daughters grow up and everything's off this computer work or what they're, you know, the vision of, you know, what, what's a, a real job going to look like at some point in time. And we're losing hundreds of thousands of people in trade in skilled trades that are not being backfilled. I mean, pipe fitters, plumbers, electricians, uh, airplane mechanics. It's, it's, and we still need them. Um, so I hope I answered your question to some degree. I yeah, no, you definitely did. And I think that one of the key points, like the way that I would sell, uh, you know, unions uh, to anybody, especially anyone who, you know, I go to a lot of networking events in the Broward area, for example, and a lot of times career wise, um, the key uh, to obviously being in a union is to learn a trade. You know, we're huge advocates for tuition free public college and trade schools, trade schools in particular, a great emphasis on that, the ability to learn a, a skill is something that unions provide. And that is something that allows you to build a career over 30, 40 years and be able to retire with dignity, as you were alluding to. I think that is one of the key selling points that I would have. But the one thing in left politics that is a big problem, as I'm sure you've seen, there's a lot of fickle behavior when it comes to who they will rub elbows with. It's almost like you're not pure or perfect enough in order to do business with. No, if you agree that people should have a living wage, health care, and potentially start building a clean energy grid so we can save ourselves from runaway climate change, especially down here. I mean, to me, uh, you can't ask a thousand questions as to, well, do you do this? Do you do that? No. Do you agree with this? Yes. And let's get to work and figure out how we can save ourselves. I would concur. I agree with you 100%. I think also one of the big problems is that labor lost its political voice in when it got cut off 
as part of the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party started getting more in bed with corporate power and it started veering away. I mean, we, we look at the Clinton years as definitely like that where you can see it very clearly. And so right now we don't have a labor party. We don't have a labor party. There is no labor party. We have two corporate parties and the rest of it is just identity politics that they use, like you said, to keep us distracted. And what we're trying to do um, is actually have the Democratic Party go back to being a labor party. And, you know, to us, the only way that can happen is for people to elect representation that doesn't take corporate money. Um, and when you do that, you will find you will have stronger advocates for labor in the political system. Um, but right now, we just don't see that very often. Like to me, it's it's just it's ridiculous that there weren't any elected officials out today making a bigger deal about Labor Day. Why is that? I, you just said it. I mean, you know, without calling anybody out on it, I mean, we get yeah. a lot of lip, we get a lot of lip service, um, you know. We are like a big ATM machine to some of these people. Um, it goes back to what I said a little earlier in the podcast. It just absolutely riles me that we've had two opportunities under a Democratic president, a Democratic Senate, a Democratic uh, House, and we could not get any labor law passed of any significance that give people a real fighting chance. What does that tell you? We have poured hundreds of millions of dollars into campaign accounts for Democrats. I'm going to say it. I don't care who's listening. It is what it is. And we have gotten nothing in return other than, oh, well, we saved you from going extinct or, you know, uh, you know, we, we tried to do this, but we couldn't get it through the finish line. Um, and it's not me. It's that one down there. It's like, OK, where is the real will to really help organize labor from a legal standpoint, because look, at the end of the day, the laws are stacked against us. I know under the Biden administration, they're doing everything they can to try to make it a little bit more fair at the NLRB, but a worker doesn't have a real right to organize in this country. Let's, let's, it, it might appear so on paper, but at the end of the day, all the powers in the employer's hands, you try to organize through the NLRB, run a union election, it could take you three to five years to even get to a contract if you're lucky. Um, you have to come up with, and, and some unions have figured out how to do it uh, in, a, in a really very, very brilliant, I would say, way. Like Unite Here has done a really great job over the years of leveraging card check neutrality agreements through corporate campaigns and real fighting. Um, the Teamsters have done, done the same thing. But at the end of the day, it's you're exactly right. It's it's like, you know, it's like oh, you know, we're just it it it, it really aggravates me to no end. It really yeah. does. Because I saw the pro act and people. Yeah. Well, look, I get I laugh. Pass the pro act on Twitter on this on and this and I just sit back and go, and I will turn to somebody and I go, I will bet you. A million dollars that the PRO Act is never going to pass, especially under a 50-50 Senate, never mind under a – even if we had a little bit more. Um, it just – you know, more you know, pro-worker senators. Um, yeah. Well, because Joe Biden doesn't yeah. want it to pass. And I, I find this very frustrating because we seem to – we always blame presidents for things that are wrong, but somehow they don't seem to be able to have enough power to get things through that people need. And I just think that there are presidents in the past that would have been able to get the PRO Act through if they wanted to. Or so, the Choice Act, which yeah. is just as good as the PRO Act back in 2008. 
And it was yeah. always, from what I heard, the lobbying was always, well, you you can get this one. You get it to my desk. I'll sign it. And it's like, well, why don't you use some political capital to get it to your desk? I think you bring up a really great point. And this is where the whole issue of, well, let's just vote Democrat from the lab- from the union's perspective doesn't really hold water, specifically because the PRO Act was the one major federal bill that the Biden administration had put forward that I actually thought made a lot of sense. The biggest uh, uh, you know, component of the bill, of course, was to have a federal law that basically superseded state uh, right to work laws. And so if your concern is collective bargaining, and you want to give workers a greater opportunity in order to do that, you would pass the PRO Act. You would have made it a top priority in the first 100 days. That should have been the signature bill. It wasn't even addressed, much less something that could have even been voted on. And to me, that says a lot about are the things that make the Republicans worse than Democrats? Well, maybe in some ways, yes, absolutely. But when it comes to workers' rights, there really is no significant difference between the two. And I wish more people understood that it's about whether you're corporate or you're non-corporate. You either take the money from the corporate special interest groups or you do not. And the ones who do not are the ones who need the most support. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I would like to I would like to say that the other thing, the huge thing, like almost the biggest thing that keeps labor from really having power is that we have no social safety net in this country. So, for example, if somebody, let's say, wanted to strike in place like France, well, they can do that and they still have health care. Right. They, they could still have health care and they could still have um, a social safety net that people here don't have. And I think that is a huge problem, when, especially when we talk about things like a general strike, is that we do not have a support infrastructure in place that can accommodate people not working. And that was one thing that really hit home. We um, when was it that we had the 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 union, the coal miners, the union representative? About six to 12 months ago, somewhere. Yeah, but what I found so interesting with the miners is because they're such like an insulated community with such a strong community support network, they were able to sustain them being on strike as a community. They have that infrastructure. And I feel like so many um, labor communities do not have that infrastructure in place. And it makes it very, very difficult to be able to, you know, stick it to the man. This is also where I think that if you want to look at what I consider to be the biggest contrast between Biden being in the White House versus if Bernie was in the White House, is that I really believe if Bernie was there, at least all indications based on his um, his actions would say that that is what would take place, especially when, for example, you had the Nabisco workers striking, you had the coal miners and everybody that was more or less doing this a little over a year ago. If you had somebody like Bernie in the White House, he would have been encouraging more and more people to get behind labor. I have not seen that from Joe. In fact, if I were to say what I think has been the weakest part of Biden's administration, it's been the fact that he has not been a champion of labor. I mean, right now, you know, you have the... Uh, uh, the 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 railway workers that are trying to strike and Biden is siding with the oligarchs in that in that particular set. And to me, that's a very big deal. And I don't know. I mean, again, there are no guarantees, but I do believe if we had a non-corporate president in the White House, they would be extremely labor friendly. And I think we need a lot more of that. I mean, I, I but I also believe, uh, you know, the local efforts is really where it's at. There is way too much focus on what goes on at the very, very top. The idea that you're fighting for universal health care in the city of Fort Lauderdale, let us know how we can help. I mean, that's that's what we're here to do. I mean, to me, 
all you need is for one place to really have that 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 inflection point, and then everyone's like, "Well, Fort Lauderdale has healthcare, and they spend like a fraction of what we're spending, and our healthcare stinks. What do we have to do to get what Fort Lauderdale has?" Yeah, interesting because I do point it out because to give credit to some cities, they do uh, give really good affordable health care to their employees. And one of the things I stated at the table is, well, I think Fort Lauderdale is probably one of the wealthiest cities in the United States uh, by far. It's at the top for sure. I mean, there's a lot of wealth in Fort Lauderdale. I mean, there's also another side to Fort Lauderdale that's, you know, much less um, you know, they have a lot of economic challenges, but on the whole, and yeah, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things that we are, uh, really focused on and we're digging in on and, you know, and, and look, I, I, you know, to be a little bit fair, um, I understand what you're saying with the pro act and where's Biden bid on it. He, I, I do have to say he was tremendously, tremendously helpful on helping save pensions for the teamsters. It was through his bill that he signed off on that, you know, we were never, ever going to see. I mean, we had a pension fund, which was central states that was going to go under uh, in 2025. And um, to his credit, he signed off on a bill and he, he really helped. He bailed out that pension fund and helped some coal miners, too. So, you know, you know sometimes with some credit of these guys, credits too. credit where credit's due. Yep, credit, and we have to give him credit for doing, but you know, sometimes with these guys, it's like, okay, I took care of that box, move on. And you know, it's like, well, what about the other stuff? <laughs> so, but you take the wins where you can get them and you got to keep fighting. That's all you can do. Absolutely. How can people follow any of the work that you're doing? Uh, we want to make sure that obviously we keep in touch. We really appreciate you coming on this evening, obviously on Labor Day. Uh, yeah, it is cliche, but if people are going to listen and they're only going to listen on a day like today, I think this conversation has been extremely productive. And I think that we'll be able to build on this, especially down here, because people, like you said, they're they're looking for something. And if there's anything we can do to help, obviously, uh, you know, we're. No, I really, I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate everything you both do. I, I love your chutzpah and your fight. Um, I really do. Um, we need it. I mean, you know, we I mean working people are never going to get anything handed to them. They're going to have to fight for it, just like when they get up and punch that clock every day. And what I say to people, you know, I said the union is the one place you could go where everybody's equal. When you look yeah. at a union contract, it doesn't say black people make this, women make this, white people make this. It's a, you know, it's a collective bargaining agreement that levels the playing field for all. And I think that in of itself is just invaluable. So. I appreciate you having me on. Sorry about the dark. No, it's all good. I don't know whose conversation I'm hearing in the background, if that's from you or if that's Peter's house. I don't know what's Tell going me. on. Is I'm it in a room all by myself. You still hear sound in the background, Jen? I did just a second ago. It was right back to hearing the They're same listening. thing. They're all listening. Oh, well, yeah. You know, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Well, I mean, you can't do this and not expect people to watch you. Like, yeah, that's well... You know, exactly. we're, we're going against the status quo, baby. That's what it's all about. Andy, obviously, thank you for what you do. Thank I you. Know very often, thank you. It, doesn't, it doesn't get enough attention, but, you know, Appreciate we are it. very well every day. Yeah, no, absolutely. Same to all you. Right. We'll definitely be in touch. All right. Thanks, brother. Oh, Labor Day, Labor Day. Is it wrong that to me, when I think of Labor Day, I think of like, it's like a mother thing, like giving birth. And it's funny because I hate Mother's Day, but I actually like to me, when I think of Labor Day, I think of the times I had to do that. It's what I think of on Labor Day. 
Is that wrong? No, not at all. And I think he's great. And I think he's saying what I think a lot of local leaders are thinking. And they realize that, uh, you know, we didn't have to bring up Dan, obviously. There's no point. No names. No, he definitely knows what the deal is there, I'm sure. I mean, all of his language indicated that he's well aware that there are, you know, significant roadblocks locally that we have to continue to work upon. And I think that that's how come we've never encountered Teamsters in the past. Like, how come we that was never anything we approached or everyone? Like, I didn't even know that there was that here. That's like we never even talked about that local. Well, I think we had a lot to learn. Uh, hang on. I think we had a lot to learn last time. Um, you know, when you're being pulled in a million different directions and you don't necessarily know uh, how to approach certain uh, labor people. But I think the connections that we are making through labor are very helpful. Uh, Andy obviously is very connected. He's been at it for a very long time. And little by little, you know, you keep building upon it. It doesn't just happen overnight as much as we wish that it could be done that way. And especially down here, this is a, a mountain of a challenge to try to change things because it is very corporatized. I mean, look, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, it doesn't really get bigger than that in terms of one of the 10 biggest cities in the country. And then Fort Lauderdale's probably top, you know, 25. So again, there's a lot of competing interests in the area and most of the time, um, they've been able to, for many years, have uh, a completely corporate uh, conglomerate. Led but we by have our been making inroads. We have yeah. definitely been making some inroads into no, that. I definitely think that there's a there's a lot of shaky ground uh, for the old guard, and they know it. And it's only going to last for so long. And you know, even today, being at the rally and you know seeing Chris Smalls do his thing, and he really is a great, great leader. Uh, you know, I ran into a number of people that I know. We need to get him back on since they won. We haven't had him back on since this happened. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you should, you know, should text him and just say that. I don't know that I have his contact information. I'll send it to you. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he, you know, like I said, he was great. Um, and I don't think he'll big league me. No, uh, there is, well, he said he really appreciates you and I'm sure he does and you know, we uh, we were there for him before. First people, then. yeah, we were like the second or third after Jordan interviewed him. I was like, oh no, we got to get him on. We got to find yeah. out what's going on. I mean, the guy got fired for whistleblowing about the fact that the Amazon warehouses were like deliberately killing their employees because they, you know, they didn't want to do any type of COVID prevention in the early stages, when which is always the most deadly. You know, anytime a new virus is in, is in, introduced into a society. I mean, it's like anything, you know, we, we recognize that. Uh, I'll give you this one. I'll give you that one, Declan. It's funny. He, but there have, he had the jack. he had the jacket with him at the event. Um, and that really in many ways is the difference between him and AOC. You know, he's, but, but again, but there's a lot of differences there. There's sure. But again, I think this also comes back to the issue of being able to do things on the outside uh, versus the inside. Um, but you have to be willing to, you know, if you're on the inside and you're trying to make change, you have to be willing to work with people on the outside. You can't not recognize that they're there. I prefer the people on the outside. That's the thing. Like, I really do. I prefer, that's what I'm noticing. Like I prefer in terms of who I would socialize with or hang out with or any of that. To me, I feel much more comfortable with the people on the outside and or the journalists that stay sort of on the outside. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that 
you know, you need somebody like a Katie Porter out of 500, mm-hmm. you know, 435 uh, congressional elected representatives to really stand out. We are also very fortunate to have somebody like Sheila Scherfelis McCormick, who is uh, self-funded and has really been going to fearless. I got to tell you, Sheila's pretty fearless. Like yeah. Sheila is, she, nobody's going to, she's not, nobody's going to put her in the corner and get away with it. Like that is not going to happen and, and good for her. And I do think um, that that's uh, particularly in her case, uh, really says a lot about, you know, her tenacity and what she's fighting for, because the Democratic establishment down here really tried to knock her off. They, they were, um, I mean, thankfully, she was just so oh, yeah. revered by her constituents in such a short period of time. And, I, and again, I think that's just a reflection of has she been able to really establish herself, per se, within the community? Uh, to a degree, but the fact of the matter is she's doing right by them in however positive a way that probably hasn't been done right, them and, done right by them for decades. So having new leadership that isn't captured by the corporate establishment really goes a long way. And even something as simple as canceling a small but mm-hmm. important piece of student debt shows you just how much economic populism really is at the heart of what so many people in this country want. And I think it's a sign of that. How pathetic is that, that that's the scraps that they're giving us and people are actually praising it. It's really pathetic. I wouldn't necessarily say that there are people who are praising it and saying, great, now we've got something and now we can sit back and enjoy it. No, it's um, it's great that we've gotten something. We need a lot more. It's the people who are the swamp dwelling political lifers that are saying, oh, see, you got your table scrap. Now shut up. And let us- they're sycophants is what they yeah, are. And we have a, a lot of them here. It's a, it is a career. That's what it is. So what do we have coming up? On Wednesday, we have a very important conversation coming up, one that I think Jen is very excited to have. Jen, why don't you tell the audience what our conversation is going to be on Wednesday? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I totally forgot that's what's happening. So I reached out to, or Peter reached out to for me. Um, if you guys do not watch the This Is Revolution podcast, it's Jason Miles and Pascal Robert. And I've been following that. I watch it. It's quite good. And they are going to come on and I need to tell them like the kind of stuff we want to talk about. There's so many things like Pascal is extremely like cerebral. So I have to, I have to like be prepared, but he definitely has some things to say about um, the the black community and the Democratic Party and how, you know, the loyalty is there, even though there's never really been um, anything happening there on their behalf. So it, he, he has a lot to say about that. Uh, and I just I think it'll be really interesting. Yeah, I think it will be, too. We might have a candidate on. We will see. But obviously a lot's uh, lots oh, happening. Who is, who is Kendra Pierre-Lewis? Uh, Kendra Pierre-Lewis, I haven't heard back from her. on the calendar for 8.30. Yeah, I haven't heard back from her, and I was trying to ask her to if we can adjust the time uh, to 9 p.m. And she's so, a candidate. She is not a candidate. She is actually, uh, she is actually somebody who... Um, was on with John Stewart. And I think that if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure she's uh, all about the environment. And I think uh, having a conversation with her will be great. Uh, so we'll see. Medea uh, during the live stream? Love me some Medea Benjamin, guys. Yes. Where last time I saw something about her very most recently was um, involving uh, Cuba. 
So I don't know with her. She's always, you know, somewhere usually I would say in like South America, Latin America, very heavily involved. Yeah, she's a super fighter if there ever was one. Um, For sure. Okay, so I'm really excited about Wednesday. You guys, this is going to be really interesting. The This Is Revolution guys did a crossover with the um, the Left Reckoning guys, which is the offshoot from Michael Brooks. If you remember, like, it's the guys who were on with Michael Brooks, also really quality. These are people that I also watch. Um, and I always forget the guy's name. Nice guy. Beard. Kind of reminds me of Jason Call a little bit with the longer hair, though. But that's the Left Reckoning show. Also a good show, guys. I really think, and, and that was just kind of an epiphany moment for me a little while ago regarding, you know, well, why would I want to join a union? Well, the Bottom line is, if you want to learn a trade of some sort, joining a union is maybe the most effective way to do it, especially in this economic environment we're living in. If you want to learn how to weld, if you want to learn how to do electrician, uh, be an electrician, if you want to be a plumber, um, if you want to be a pipe fitter, there's a lot of different things that you can do that will pay you a living wage with benefits and health care. And you'll generally be able to retire. Now, granted, most careers tend to be long, could be 40 years. But you know what? When you have a skill, you can work forever. That's the great thing. And that's why we emphasize labor above everything else. It's the greatest uniter. We had on a gentleman who could very well, you know, you know, you know what's the great thing about Andy Jen? I can't tell if he's a Bernie supporter or a Trump supporter. No, it doesn't matter. And you know what? You're right. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that he gives a damn about the American people and that's what matters the most. And I think that that's uh, hopefully something that a lot of people will take away from the conversation we had this evening. Um, I think when we do a a tighter uh, podcast schedule, I think that that's actually a good thing. Okay, so I think what we should do this month, like have a little promo for a Patreon membership. Okay, like let's, I'm going to put the thing up. Where's our thing? Here it is. It's somewhere in here, right? It's yeah. No, isn't that right? That's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. So this month, September, you know, I finally have received my uh, the bumper stickers. Right. So I have Mansion Parliamentarian bumper stickers. But so what I'm going to do is basically anybody who signs up as a um, minimum of a five dollar patron this month will also get a nice Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker thrown in there because it's just freaking hilarious. Um, I, and, and no, and my husband doesn't get it, by the way, Jason doesn't get it. He thinks he's like, I don't get that. I'm like, I know it's definitely a certain sect of people that will understand it, but I, I, I find it clever. What would be the donation request for somebody who gives to the cash app in order to get a bumper sticker? Oh, somebody just wants to get a bumper sticker. Um, Well, I mean, yeah, look, we, we could always, we could always use some cash people, but no, I, what I want are patrons. I want people to sign up, be patrons. And that's the bonus. You know, we're, we, we really didn't think it would take us this long to get to 10,000 subs in order to be able to have a merch store, but it apparently is, is slow going. So well, we don't we're, have we're working on it. So hopefully we'll be able to get this soon enough. Yeah. But for those of you who tuned in this evening, we really appreciate you. If you can go to patreon.com forward slash generational change, we are transforming politics into service, especially down here in South Florida, but obviously throughout the country, we're trying to, uh, you know, continue to spread that word for as little as $5 a month or as much as 10, even $25 a month. You can help support. 
yes, we in fact are looking to support uh, a number of local candidates, including someone that we uh, just had a conversation with the other day who was running for mayor here in South Broward. More information to come as we go forward. We are going to be having a gathering. We're going to be having a meet and greet and a gathering with uh, Nick Sordal, who is running for mayor here in Plantation. And we are going to be with generational change. We'll be putting something together regarding that. What we really want is to get people to come, meet him and sign up to Canvas. We need people to be out knocking doors. And this is a race that I think is pretty strategic um, for us in terms of our broader mission of getting corporatism out of our local politics. This is definitely a step in the right direction there. Definitely agree. Thank you all for joining this evening. And remember, smash the like button, share, comment, do all the wonderful things that we ask you to do all the time. And of course, if you're so inclined, you can also go to Cash App, dollar sign, Gen Change, 5, 10, 15, 20, whatever you want to give. Obviously, it helps us transform politics into service locally, whether it is through non-corporate candidates, whether it is through homeless care packages, whether it is through beach cleanups, whether it is through volunteering with Mobile School Pantry. There's a lot Actually, of whether it's making a nice, generous donation to Mobile School Pantry for their annual benefit. And that's every one of you. Generational Change did the nice, we got two VIP ticket gift packages. They're like, you know, to the dinner. I'm like, if we're going to pay to go to dinner, I want the VIP package, man. So we're going to get some. We'll get some good footage, get some good photographs. Yeah, all that stuff. Are you not going to be my date? We're going to have swag. I'm so excited. Well, I just said, we'll take, we'll take, we'll we'll get some good footage. It'll be a great event. And yeah. Oh, it's uh, a nice party. It's a good party. You know, Zeno's had to throw a spread, but. I'm just saying I never upgraded to the swag bag. So I'm very excited about that. And you all make it possible. Thank you, guys. Uh, obviously, as always, uh, happy Labor Day. Remember why we have labor. It isn't the Democratic Party. It's actually the Socialist Party. And a lot of these ideas, unfortunately, just got ripped off by them, which is OK. Uh, at the end of the day, we need a party of labor. That's what we're working on. And we're going to bring it here to South Florida, hopefully before we die. Thank all you right. so much. This is revolution, guys. Mm -hmm. See you Wednesday at 8. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.